Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the blessings that you have given us, that we could sit down and enjoy the kind of meal with all the special foods and things that, Lord, we could actually enjoy it in the air conditioning where it's a little cooler and more comfortable than outside. Lord, that we could share fellowship with one another and enjoy meeting new people and having guests here for the first time. And Lord, just sharing the love that has been built through the years of serving you together as members of this church. Lord, we thank you for a country that we can live free in. We thank you for the hope that tomorrow could actually be a better day than today. Lord, we just ask now that you would guide our hearts as we study your word, that you would encourage us. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The National Anthem had more than one verse. And uh, actually there were dozens of verses written over the years. Okay. Miss Ann was saying during World War II they had to sing the fourth stanza of the national anthem, first through the fourth. And what they were trying to do was build a heart for the cause. It's hard to think of what it was in World War II. I believe the population of our nation was barely 200 million people. And 16 million Americans were in full-time service in the armed services. Now stop and run those numbers. Uh, It was an amazing... And that does not count the people who were working in the plants, building the planes and, and the bombs and all of the things that were taking. Every American had known sacrifice in order to turn back the tide of communi- of, uh, of Nazism and, and uh, fascism and, and the other desires to dominate this world. It's an amazing, amazing history. I think one radio commentator was, commenta- was talking about it this week. There are many nations that have had power to conquer. But there are very few nations that have used power to set free. And that's what makes American history just a little different. I am not into, as Albert Einstein and others were at World War II saying, the United States is just like every other nation. No, This nation was different. It's becoming just like every other nation. And that's why we need to pray. And uh, what I'm going to do is just read one paragraph from the Declaration. This is word for word. It says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, 
and the pursuit of happiness. This was part of the introduction of the Declaration. The Declaration was written to the King of England, and it basically laid out sentence for sentence, line for line, all of the reasons, the injustice, the downright complete tyranny, even uh, accusing the king of sending troops to kill and pillage and destroy people and property here in these colonies. And it said that even in the most barbarous um, uh, situations known to mankind, no king has treated his subjects as King George treated the colonists here in this country. Now, that was not true for every colonist, but it certainly was true for many. And the revolution was fought for freedom. There have been many battles that have been fought for all kinds of reasons. Most of them have to do with religion. And religious wars always bring tyranny. But this this what these men said. It says these truths are self-evident. Now what they were saying to the king when they said the truths were self-evident was simply this that they didn't need the king's permission or his agreement that these truths were there, that truth always stands up for itself. That truth does not belong to any person, any group. And that's why you often hear me say in in the most dramatic terms, I, I feel sorry for the next person who says, that's your truth. Because anybody who makes that statement does not understand what truth is. Truth does not belong to you. It does not belong to me. They were telling this man, that the king of England, that it didn't belong to him. It said there's a responsibility for each member of humanity to think and to understand what's going on around them. And that there is a higher power than any government. Have you ever thought about what truth could be self-evident if evolution were really true? Because there could be no creator. There could be no image of God that we were created in. There couldn't be no universal understanding I mean, this is the whole purpose of teaching evolution is to demean the universal truth, which is God. And it says here that the truths that they hold to be self-evident are all men are created equal. Now, we're just going to give a little history lesson here. In England at this time, they had pretty well settled that the king was not God's perfect regent here on earth. That, that argument had been settled about 200 years before. 
But the king still exercised power as a god in control of his nation. And many nations, in fact, there are churches who make the claim that their leader is God in the flesh. But what that simply means is that God created some men here and some men here. They say, we believe that all men are created equal. Now, if you read any modern history book, you know what the next sentence is going to be? And some of the men that wrote this held slaves. Could I just challenge you? We don't have time to deal with it tonight. But there was this little thing called the Civil War that lasted for five years and cost hundreds of thousands of American lives to settle the issue of slavery that no other people group in the history of mankind devoted that kind of effort to deal with slavery. And so I think that's an unfair charge. How about you? That all men were created equal. Now, if we open up our Bible, the Bible says all men are created equal. We were created in the image of Almighty God Himself, that that image was marred through sin, and that all men stand in the same place today, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says that they were endowed by their Creator. Good thing the ACLU didn't exist in 1776. They just struck that down as being prejudicial to beat people who believed in a Creator. It says the idea of a Creator is the supreme being, which is God. It says that this God has given rights to each member of His creation that belong to them as a member of mankind, not as a citizen of a country. Do you get the difference between those two ideas there? You see, many people think that freedom and privilege is something the government gives us. Wrong. Freedom is something that God wants every human being to experience. And He has written an entire book called the Bible, and we're only part of the way through that plan. There's somewhere around seven years at least left in it before we can experience God's kingdom here on earth that will last a thousand years. That's how much interested God is in the freedom of the individual. That it is planned. And it says, among these rights that were given by God, not only these, but among these, because these were the ones that the King of England had infringed upon. It was life, Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Now, if you listen to the radio at all and those things, you would think by listening to the commentators that the pursuit of happiness is being able to watch football for 24 hours on the television. Uh, I think that'd be enough to destroy anybody's brain. Uh, Or to listen to my music as loud as I want. Or if we talk to the libertarians to smoke as much weed as I can possibly smoke. Uh, I get a little tired of the libertarians. They ought to be called libertines. Look up the word in the dictionary. 
There's a great difference. A libertarian is one who proclaims liberty and freedom. A libertine is someone that is overtaken in a slavery to a slave to vice and debauchery. There's a great difference. Just because they call themselves a libertarian, don't believe them. They're not. They're libertines. Because a true libertarian, a true person who believes in true liberty, understands a few things. You see, I have a right to life. But I don't have a right to drive my vehicle 100 miles an hour down the block and run you over and end yours. I have a right to liberty. I have the freedom. I hope you like some of that music that we were playing. That, that is traditional American patriotic music. And uh, I have quite a little collection and, and enjoy listening to that through the years because it's just plain old good music. I have a right to listen to music. But I don't have a right to listen to it so loud that it makes your eardrums hurt while you're driving down the street past me. You see, that's not liberty. When my freedom enslaves you, I have the wrong definition of freedom. Are we together? And that idea is what is summed up in this term, the pursuit of happiness. It is not what makes me happy. It is what is best for the society in which I live. No, it does not mean society has the right to choose what is right and wrong, as is so aberrantly displayed in the recent decisions on marriage and sodomite marriage and all of these things that are out there. That's not what... It's talking about because if we go back, the freedoms were endowed by whom? The Creator. So therefore, there's a responsibility upon the part of each member of humanity to pay attention to He who made us. See, these men did not believe in allegiance to a church or a specific religious society. What they all believed in was allegiance to God. And the reason I stand before you today as a Baptist preacher, I wasn't raised that way. I studied my Bible, and I found out there was only one church that had any history to it that just preached the Bible. And instead of starting my own church and asking Jesus to join, rather arrogant, isn't it? I joined his as a sophomore in Bible college. Tell you what, a little embarrassing to get baptized as a sophomore in Bible college preparing for the ministry. But you know what? I wanted to do things right. And that's what we're trying to do. 
You see, I want you to turn with me to John 1, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And I promise there's no clock in the back, so I can go as long as... No, uh, I'll be careful with the time tonight. How many of you know what it means when a preacher takes his watch off and sets it on the pulpit? Absolutely nothing. No. Uh, John chapter 1. Let me get there myself instead of telling dumb jokes. Verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Life has to come from something. How many of you have read the science books and know what I mean when I say a biogenesis? That term means that life sprung from non-life. That we had this pool of elements and chemicals swirling around and it got struck by lightning like a Frankenstein monster movie and all of a sudden an amoeba began to slither around in the pond. Back in the, I believe it was the 50s or 60s, a man did a whole series of, an exper of experiments trying to prove that that could happen. The only problem was he did it in a methane atmosphere. Because do you know what a normal atmosphere with oxygen does to microbes and all those kinds of things? It kills them. You see, there's no way you could have come from an amoeba because it would have died before it had a chance to become... Uh, to put on its first suit, we might say. Life comes from life. Life cannot come from death. We have many people that had near-death experiences, but that is the end of it. It is near death. Maybe your heart stopped beating for five minutes, but you were not dead. Because let me tell you something, if you were really dead, you don't come back. The morgue proves that. Cemetery proves that. When you're really dead, you're dead. And they can sit there and put you with the paddles and put you on machines and they can do everything. They can simulate life. But when you're dead, it's over. Life comes from God. See, that's why you don't have the right over another person's life. That belongs to God. Read your Bible. God said, when man sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. That's one of the responsibilities of society, is to punish murderers. Someone that has killed someone, and we're not talking about an accident. We're not talking about in war. We're not talking about other... We're talking about murder. Willful choice to end another human's life. 
By the way, I think if you fill yourself with alcohol and drugs and get in a car and kill somebody, you've made a choice to end another human being's life. I think it's just that simple. But the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. Many of our servicemen and women need to understand that God, when He gave that commandment, was not telling them that they could not serve and protect their families and their country. That's in the Bible. Read about David and his mighty men. Uh, They did a lot of execution of the enemy. But they didn't go out by themselves just looking for people to perpetrate their abilities upon. It was in war. There's a difference. I know this complicated, kids. Pay attention and we'll be done pretty soon. Joey's already blacked out, so we're doing well here. But life comes from God. It's sacred. That's why when a person is dying, we don't help them die. We do our best not to prolong their suffering. Amen? But we're not here to help them die. We don't believe in death with dignity. Because there's nothing dignified about death. Death comes upon all, for that all have sinned. It is something that we must pass through. It is something that we must walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's part of being a human being. It's part of our sin. But one of these days we'll be reunited on the other shore where there is no death and there is no dying. You want to make sure that you live your life here thinking in the thought, in the process of preparing to live over there. Amen? Did we get that? Liberty. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about liberty. I love this verse. The psalmist said this, Psalm 119. We took about 18 months, I believe it was, to go through Psalm 119, a verse at a time on our Thursday night Bible study. Verse 45 says, And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. How many of you have read the article in the Baptist Times there, Seeking the Greater Yes? Uh, If you haven't, I think there's probably 15 or 20 copies still back there. Get one per family, please. Uh, and take that home and read that article. It is one of the best articles I have read in a long time. Uh, And it is something that we sometimes neglect. There is certainly no question about that. There's a lot of no's in the Bible, are there not? But do you know why there's a lot of no's in the Bible? Because sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God does not want us to waste the life that He has given us on sin. You know what probably the most killing thing in our society is 
today. No, it's not pollution. It's certainly not global warming. It, it's not that the dinosaurs died 125 million years ago because there wasn't anything here 125 million years ago. It's not even religion. How about good old-fashioned stress? I think that takes more years off our lives than anything. And let me just throw out another word that's always related to stress, and I'm telling on myself as well as the rest of you. Anywhere there's stress, there's also a pretty good dose of selfishness right along with it. In there? You see, I want freedom. My freedom is connected to his precepts. The more I'm in alignment with the words of this book, the more freedom I have. I've often tried to illustrate this point. Many, many people believe they're going to get to heaven by doing good works, right? Well, let's stop and think about that for a minute. If God is actually going to reward me for doing good works, helping other people, right? Isn't that good? That means that in order for me to go to heaven, you have to have problems that I gain because of your pain. And the more messed up you are, the greater advantage I have of making enough points to get over the top. Does anybody see how crazy and selfish and hurtful that kind of reasoning can be? That's why God does not have that in the Bible. You see, the greatest help I can be to my children and to my wife is to keep the precepts of God. The greatest benefit I can be as a pastor is to be obedient to the words of this book. The more obedient I am, the more you will receive. You see, freedom means that I can do things without strings attached. You see, I can help you because I'm not expecting something from you. I can help you because Jesus has already helped me. That's freedom. Do you know one thing in the world that the world has to offer that doesn't take your time and your effort and your energies wrapped up around it? How many of you have ever bought a car? What's the first thing you want to do? Take care of it. You've got to buy insurance. You've got to put gas in it. You've got to put oil you got to talk nice to it, because if you don't, it's not going to do what you want it to do. And if you don't believe that, try it sometimes. Your attitude. People say, I have freedom to smoke if I want to smoke. Yeah, that's true. 
But what happens because you make that choice? I end up paying for your medical bills. What kind of freedom is that? What kind of freedom do I have to tell you how to be free when I'm addicted to a little box of things that are sticking in my pocket that the mayor says are going to cost $12, $14 a pack someday? I mean, that gets absurd. I'm against smoking. I want you to understand that. But I'm also against the government playing God. You see, I don't smoke because it'll give Jesus a bad name. And I'm free from that vice and the control that it offers. That's real freedom, my friend. I can wake up in the morning and know that I'm not getting calls from bill collectors because I've spent wrong. I can also know that I'm not getting offers from people who want me to buy stuff because I don't have anything to buy anything with either. Amen? But it's freedom. That's the kind of liberty that was being spoken of there. It was a liberty to think and to act in such a way that I was not bringing harm to others around me. You see, it's all wrapped up. This third thing in there, the pursuit of happiness, is a summary. If you do not have life and you do not have liberty, you then cannot pursue happiness. It's not possible. You must have life and you must have liberty. You must have the, uh, a life that you can live. You must have the ability to move and to think. And here's what it gives us. You see, the men that wrote these things were not ignorant of what was in the Bible. Now, Thomas Jefferson is very famous for cutting his Bible up. He didn't like this passage, so he cut it out. But I'll tell you today, most of the people who quote Thomas Jefferson haven't read enough of the Bible to know anything they'd even want to cut out. Do you see how dumb that is? You see, they knew that there was only hope in this life in one place. It was when human beings respected other human beings and you had life and liberty. Then you could pursue happiness. I've often joked communism is an amazing thing because it depends on everybody being so good. The perfect humanity. I work, I give 100%, and then I take everything I've earned and give it to the government because they're the only people who can rightly distribute it among the needy. Communism has never worked and never will because... Once you realize you can get by with 80% labor, you're going to shoot for 75. That's human nature. The other part of it is once those few get a hold of everything, they're not going to let it go. 
God does not start believing good things about you and me. He starts believing bad things about you and me because he knows what is in the heart of man. And he says, if you're going to do good things for one another, you've got to control your human nature with the precepts that are in my word. Amen? You see, God wants us to expect things. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Let's get the second half of that verse. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. You see, God wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to have what would be considered a good life. But the thing is, if what makes my life good makes your life suffer, how good is it? Paul put it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Do you know what? If I'm living for Jesus because he died for me and rose again, and you are living for Jesus because he died for you and rose again, guess what's going to happen? We're going to benefit each other. How many of you have ever gotten encouragement by walking in and sitting in a service here in this church? Could you say amen to that? Why do you get benefited? Because number one, you realize you're not the only one that's struggling in this life. And number two, we get to rejoice around the Word of God every time we're together. You see, God's plan for mankind. How many of you remember the story? Jesus was in the temple. The scribes and the Pharisees were asking questions. This was the last week before the crucifixion. And one of them asked him a question. What is the greatest commandment? Remember that? What was Jesus' answer? The great commandment, the greatest commandment is love the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, with all thy strength, with all thy might. Amen? And what's the second one? And to love thy neighbor as thyself. Upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see, the pursuit of happiness was as close as they could come to saying, love your neighbor as yourself. That's where they got the idea. Because the world would be a happy place if everyone simply did that, now wouldn't they? But pastor, you don't know who my neighbor is. And you, yeah, that's true. But let me tell you, 
God does. And love is not in a warm, mushy-gushy feeling inside. The greatest act of love is what? Is introducing a friend to Jesus. That is the greatest love that you can give to another human being. Because not only will we be together on, on this earth, we will be together for all eternity. If I'm afforded the opportunity when I'm inviting people to come visit church, talking to people, say, you know, we, we Baptists, we want you to come to church. We believe in church. It's important. And if you stick around long enough, you'll get to eat with us like we did tonight. And that was pretty cool, now wasn't it? Wait till you see an international dinner around here. That can be downright terrifying unless you're well-armed with antacids and other such things. Uh, it's an incredible uh, thing to enjoy. But we want you to go to heaven with us. That's what we really want. But sometimes that takes a lot of effort because it's not just being good enough. It's not just saying, I'm okay, you're okay. No, I'm not okay, you're not okay, you're not okay, you're not, nobody is okay. Only Jesus is okay. But when I come to Him, He'll save me. And then we can start the process of struggling together to serve the Lord till He comes. That's what church is all about. Now, try to wrap this up by simply saying this. These men knew what they were writing was radical in their day and age. In fact, 86 years later, it was Abraham Lincoln that on the battlefield of Gettysburg would call it a great experiment that it was something that had never been tried and they were not sure whether it was still going to work. But through the convulsion of the Civil War, it continued to work. But you know what? We had these things in Jesus Christ, in His church, since the days that Jesus has walked the face of this earth. This should be nothing new for us. We should be living these truths every day. He has given us life. You witness that fact that you're sitting in the pew upright. Amen? He's given you liberty. You had freedom to come here today. That pursuit of happiness is not gratifying what makes you happy. It's living for Him who died and rose again for us. And that's something that we need to work at as a church. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we just come before you tonight and we ask that you would let us see these truths as they're in your scriptures. 
And Lord, that You would help us to simply love You and to live for You and to pursue those things that You would set before us. We ask for Your grace that we may be Your servants. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just keep our heads bowed, eyes closed. Give you an opportunity to add to it yourself privately just between you and the Lord. If you're here tonight and you're not sure about your salvation, would you let somebody take the Bible and just show you what the Bible says? Answer your questions, not from somebody's book, but from God's book.